and welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us today. What follows are selections from our service on July 18th, 2021, a service entitled Wonder as a Spiritual Virtue with Olas Karyanis. In this video, you'll hear parts of the service. Following that, we hope that you'll stick around for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week, hosted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. You can even ask Alexa to play the Fourth U Dimension podcast. I've tested it myself. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the shares, and the subscriptions, these all help to spread Fourth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the land of the Munsi Lenape peoples. We acknowledge their community, past, present, and future. Fourth Universalist Society acknowledges that it was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many BIPOC peoples, including those on who this, whose land this institution is located. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue this process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of settler colonialism, white supremacy, and other forms of oppression. We invite you to join us in this important work as well. Thank you again for watching. We begin with selections from our service. The reading today is a poem titled Prayer Language by Arik Danielson, a contemporary American journalist, essayist, and poet, and published in Fathom Magazine in 2020. A buddy asks about the condition of my prayer life. I had no idea what to tell him. So while my mouth hung slightly open, I reviewed my memories of the past 24 hours. I wrote a thousand words yesterday hopeful one would find a friend. It's always okay to ask for help, I told my son, pouring concrete between our present and future selves. My head bobbed in time to a song by The National. I even played B major, G, D, A on my air guitar. Then I flinched when the singer promised not to ruin everything. My eyes traced the contours of a Scott Cain's poem, then closed in worship to read between the lines. I challenged every father's fear of failure to an arm wrestling match, then exclaimed, Jesus, both an expletive and appeal for strength. I stared at the thumbnail of a Rothko painting and memorized the blue. I scrubbed my bare arms and chest with green soap, baptizing another day's shame and watching it cascade down the drain. Using soft kisses to plot points, I drew a map of my wife's collarbone, then leaned back to examine the legend. Over the course of the day, I sighed something like 32 times. I pray without ceasing, I told my friend, and consider the matter settled. 
here ends the reading. Thank you all for such wonderful music and such prayerful words. So about a year before the pandemic, I flew from New York City to Hawaii with my partner. And I should tell you up front that I am a terrible flyer. I cannot sleep easily on planes. I get anxious if I'm not in the aisle seat that I will not be able to get up when I need to. And really just sitting for that long is not good for me. But perhaps the worst part of flying with me is that I get very emotional. I've actually had to ban myself from watching movies on flights after I watched the first 10 minutes of some zany comedy and found myself crying because the protagonist just seemed to hate their job. And I, I'm not alone in this. There are many people who find themselves inadvertently crying on planes when they are not necessarily emotional people on the ground. Well, this flight to Hawaii was long. We had to transfer planes. We had a misconnection in LA and we almost got arrested in the process, but perhaps that's a story better left for coffee hour. We were generally miserable by the last leg of our flight. And as we were getting closer to Hawaii, there were children in the window seat in front of us and they opened the sliding visor so that the sunlight poured into the dark cabin. And the children sat there pointing at everything they could see below. Mountains, the vastness of the ocean, tiny little boats. The children were loud and excited and rambunctiously pushing each other to get a look and to play games. Now, with every nerve exposed from an indeterminate number of hours of flying and miles of flying, I found myself feeling frustrated and angry at the children making such a racket over the mundane. But then, and, and this might just be because I was on a plane, I, I felt myself begin to tear up. I felt that sense of profound awe that was emanating from the children. Here we were thousands of feet above the surface of the earth. We were flying at 500 miles per hour, we were traveling to a tiny set of islands thousands of miles away from any continent, and we were doing it in a few hours. These children's response to what they were seeing was exactly the correct response. It is a response that repetition and fatigue can steal away from us. It is that response of being awestruck and wondrously engaged in the world. The great science fiction writer William Gibson writes in his book, Pattern Recognition, that jet lag occurs because our soul cannot travel as fast as airplanes. And so our souls are left behind to slowly make their way back to us. So jet lag is just an instance of soul delay. Sitting there watching those children, I felt my soul return to me. I remembered my first time on an airplane. It was also my first time seeing the ocean, but from 30,000 feet in the air. It was magical and the planet seemed bigger than it could possibly be. I believe that in that sense of awe at the wondrousness of our little planet, we find our souls. Now, we use do not often talk about souls, which I find funny because our notion of souls often are less threatening and less prone to disagreement than our thoughts about God. To be certain, we all have a different relationship to the word. Some people believe in an immaterial soul, maybe even an immortal soul, while others may believe in a material soul, that je ne sais quoi that defines my very uniqueness. Others prefer to talk about the psyche the internal experience of a, a material body. 
Interestingly, the word psyche comes from a Greek word that is also the root for the word soul. Psyche in Greek meant life, soul, consciousness, and maybe most importantly, breath. Whatever the soul is, I believe that it is most palpably felt in our capacity to wonder, to feel awe, to see the sublime. Now, the sublime is different than the beautiful. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant tells us that the beautiful is found in its ability to capture and play with our imagination. Beauty is small in that we can grasp it and play with it. The sublime in contrast is that which is so enormous in magnitude that it pushes our ability to grasp it at all. It threatens to consume us. So beauty to me is the autumnal leaves in New England or the song of a red-winged blackbird in spring. Sublime, on the other hand, is the Grand Canyon or Mount Denali. Its sheer size cannot be held in one glance. The sublime creates in us that sense of awe and wonder that those children felt flying above the Pacific Ocean. Several years ago now, my partner and I uh, traveled to Mount Denali in Alaska. It is one of the tallest and most prominent peaks in America. We were sitting on the deck of a lodge, seeing it in the distance, and we spent an enjoyable meal watching the sun slowly dip down to the horizon. And we were just so shocked at our good luck of being able to see the mountain relatively alone. But right as the sun began to touch the horizon right next to the mountain, the deck was suddenly filled with tourists just like us. The energy was frenetic with everyone attempting to get a photo in front of the mountain at the right moment. The mother of a family in front of us was taking photos of her family. So my partner asked her if she would like for us to take the picture so she could be in it too. Uh, she was grateful and went over with her family to take the photo. And my partner told her that because of the lighting, the phone would only allow either the mountain to be lit up or the family's faces, but not both. Without skipping a beat, the mother cried, forget their faces, take a photo of the mountain. As the sun rapidly dipped below the horizon, we were left on the porch, slightly disheveled, but entirely alone. Encountering the sublime can make us want to hold it, to frame it, to know it, to control it. My fatigued anger on the flight with the children, the anxious need to photograph the sublime of nature, all of these things can take us away from our own most being. There are forms of soul delay that inevitably happen to us all. And I want to be clear that this is not some, something about like nature versus technology or any other Luddite sentiments, though I do have those moments. Our technology opens us to the wonder of the world at the same time that it steals it away from us. The airplane can and does inspire us awe and wonder. For over 10,000 years, the fastest means of travel was either horseback or river, river travel. In 1800, it could take several days to travel from New York to Boston. Now it takes longer to get to the airport and through security than the entire flight from Boston to New York. And when the first Ferris wheel opened at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893, it was a thrilling experience to be inside of something 200 feet off the ground. Some of us live and work every day much higher than that. And airplanes take us 30 or 40,000 feet. So air travel is truly wild. But at the same time, that technology that can inspire wonder are the same things that can drain it from us. It is inventions like the airplane that can make pineapples boring. The airplane enables us to have South African tulips given to a loved one in New York. 
It is the portable cell phone that has enabled the rapid increase of information transfer. And it's the cell phone that calls us to try to put the sublime in a frame. In our pockets, we can see almost every single piece of famous artwork in seconds, no matter where we are. We can listen to 15 different symphony orchestras play Mussorgsky in a row. Each one of us have probably heard Beethoven's fifth more than Beethoven himself had ever heard or played it. And Beethoven's fifth is truly sublime. But is it sublime when we've listened to it in the background for the 400th time? In many ways, our, our technology generates ever more need for sublimity, for awe and for wonder as a consumable product, instead of calling us back to our own most being. I think that the poet William Wordsworth said it best. He said, the world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Now, we know we cannot live our lives every second in awe and wonder. It would actually be counter to the nature of awe and wonder to experience that at all times. But I think it is important to cultivate within ourselves the ability to be open for the moment that the sublime enters our lives. This to me is the essence of the sacred. Sacred spaces are places where we exist with the sublime and they are places that help us practice our openness to the sublime. We just spent a year of worship over Zoom and many of us prayed where we worked, where we played, where we slept, where we dreamt. Many of us slide seamlessly between digital spaces connecting us to each other across time zones instantaneously. And again, think about how wild and wonderful that is. It was a distance fantasy even in the 1980s as depicted in the great film Back to the Future 2. But living that fantasy has shown us that we need to be careful what we fantasize. Operators of the Mars rover reported feeling an experience similar to jet lag when they would spend long shifts navigating the rover on Mars. I feel like we are all experiencing continuous jet lag of zooming our lives, a sort of semi-permanent soul delay. And as we are all beginning to get vaccinated and we're re-emerging in society and revisiting places and people that we have missed, our souls are still catching up to us after this year of flight. We are out of tune. Or rather, our harps have been tuned to mourning, to paraphrase Job from the Bible. And I've been thinking a lot about Job during uh, these days. And the book of Job tells the story of a wager between God and an entity called the adversary. The adversary tells God that Job will blaspheme God if God takes away the easy life that God has given Job. God agrees to try it out, and Job is put through a series of misfortunes, which include the loss of his land, his family, his health. Job spends much of, his, of the book trying to figure out why God would allow such bad things to happen. And he gets a ton of really unsatisfying answers from his friends and community. Finally, God approaches Job in the form of a giant tornado. God chastises Job for questioning God's greatness and reminds Job of all the amazing things that God does and can do, like fighting sea beasts and creating the entire earth. It is one of the oldest books known to us today and one of the least satisfying. 
the most common reading of the book is that it's what's called a theodicy or an attempt to answer the question of why evil exists if God is all powerful and good. However, I believe that we can read Job differently. And I keep coming back to this um, throughout the pandemic. Through Job's misfortunes, Job is out of tune. Grief and loss can take us to a place where we are unaligned with our unmost being, where we are unable to experience wonder and awe or the sublime. Out of tune, Job wanders the desert seeking his friends to put a box around everything, to provide answers to the mystery of life, and to simplify everything into a cosmos of predictable causality. Good people get good things and bad people get bad things. Job, out of tune, is embittered by the inability to find transactional comfort, is finally confronted by the sublime, or God, in the form of something so big that it stretches his ability to grasp it. And that is the nature of God's speech. It lays out all of the wondrous and awesome aspects of creation, the sheer magnitude of our universe, and the glory therein. Through God's speech, Job becomes in tune with his own most being through wonder. Job says, you asked, who is this who conceals my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Things too wonderful to know, because to know something is to be able to grasp it in one glance. But God reminds Job that the world is filled with wonder, and that it is humanity's cosmological place to bear witness to that sublimity, to hold on to our wonder and awe. As we exit the pandemic and wait for our souls to catch up to us from the dark winter that was COVID, I feel like we are like Job searching for answers for our misfortunes, tuned to grief and sorrow, but also looking for those things that will make us feel at home in the world again. And as we go through this process, we need to find a way to wonder again, to practice awe, to be open to the sublime. One of the functions of our worship space is to help us cultivate and practice our openness to wonder and awe. From the beautiful music, the piano strings being struck, but feet from our singing voice, to the light bending its way into our sanctuary. All of this as we hold as a place which can bring us closer to ourselves, bring us in tune with our community and open us up to the joyous wonder of our existence. I look forward to returning and cultivating that practice again with all of you. And I sincerely hope that our souls are not delayed for too long and that our singing voices may remind us of the things which are too wonderful for us to know. May it be so and amen. Olas, it's so great to have you here today to be back on the podcast, but uh, for any first time listeners or viewers, would you like to share a little bit about who you are, uh, per perhaps pronouns as well? Yeah, hi, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be back on the podcast and be back uh, with Fourth You. I'm Olas Karianis. Uh, in terms of pronouns, I use all pronouns. I prefer they, um, I will accept he, and I will feel like it's a promotion if you say she. Um, and I am a member of Fourth Universalist. I am a seminarian at the um, Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Um, yeah. <laughs>
Well, it's great to have you. And it was really just a, a, a fascinating uh, message that was a, a lot of fun to think about, like a time for all ages for, and to like, uh, I enjoyed Sean's music choices as well. It was really just fun to think about uh, wonder, um, you know, especially after such a, uh, a challenging year to, to step back and think about like, how can we uh, embrace this, this wonder in our life? It was really a, a wonderful message. Yeah, thank you. And in in Sean's music, I always say is is just phenomenal. Uh, his his rendition of the Morricone uh, uh, was beautiful. It's such a hard piece to do well, and and he he really did it justice. Yes, most definitely. So, in trying to think of questions, I will say that this was perhaps a harder one for me to like sit down and and write out some things for us to discuss for the dive deeper. I'm like, okay, gotta like put on my best. Uh, philosophy student hat uh, and see what I can come up with. <laughs> uh, so um, I think a great place to start would, would be, um, you mentioned, uh, and I jotted, I tried to jot it down as you were, you were saying it, uh, that, that humans bear witness to this wonder in the world, that this wonder uh, is really a, a big part of life. And um, as we were preparing for this, this recording, you know, like this, this seems to connect to me and, you know, to people like Hegel, uh, philosopher favorite, um, but also like uh, many philosophers, many thinkers throughout history, not necessarily even all religious, um, have kind of seen this idea of humans existing to like understand and see the world, like is, is a purpose for existing. And like, that doesn't have to necessarily be religious, it can, but like that people can find beauty in this world. And that's part of the reason why we're here. Like, was there some philosophical inspiration for you? Yeah, definitely. I, I, um, I, I have a degree in, in philosophy and it's always kind of in the background of my thinking uh, about uh, spirituality and, and stuff like that. And I think something that I, I keeps coming back in, in my thinking just uh, uh, in Unitarian Universalism and just in, in uh, theology generally is is like the central place of joy and wonder like those two those two places which we don't often associate with uh, religious practices but which I, I do think are fundamental places to our relationship with the world um, and so like in philosophy doesn't often talk about, you know, joy and wonder necessarily in that way, though I do think that there is a through line. And, you know, you mentioned Hegel, I would say Kant, I would say Berkeley. There's a lot of people that um, contribute to this kind of aesthetical theory that relates aesthetics uh, or, or like art and taste and stuff like that uh, with our ability to perceive as humans, our ability to kind of connect with the larger world, um, which is something that I, I, I think is, is important and not often uh, really touched upon in, in religious discourse. Um, so I'm happy to bring it here. Well, I gotta say, I don't, you know, we don't necessarily always get the chance to, to have any philosophy talk on, on some of these videos. So any, if any, if we have any listeners that are, uh, that are big philosophy fans, you know, feel free to, to leave a comment down below to let us know if you finally got, you know, some mentions of Kant and Hegel and Berkeley. Uh, we know you've been waiting for them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes nice to, to nerd out a little bit. And I, I suppose on that front, um, one of the things 
that uh, as you were talking about like technology, um, it got I me mean, got me to thinking about this rant that I regularly go on when discussing things with other people, uh, which is like how huge of a shift in all of human existence, like the digital, the internet ages, like that, that like we just can't even comprehend like the shift that is happening right now. Do you, do you find that to be generally your kind of experience in thinking about technology right now, this, this shift? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I do connect a lot of things to that. So when, 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 I, when I hear you say that, I, I think of, um, I, I, th I think a few things, oil, oil powered um, uh, movement, cars, uh, planes, uh, and just the significant shift in our landscape that that has created, like, you know, all across America, there's not really a place that you go that don't have paved streets, that don't have, you know, all of the infrastructure built for those uh, vehicles. And in our lifetime, the internet uh, uh, coming, as, as you were saying, and, uh, you know, being a millennial, uh, remembering a time before the ubiquity of the internet, you know, and remembering uh, uh, when those cool Apple computers came out with the colorful sides and like, you know, the, the sort of dream that technology brought to us, but also like how fast it happened and how hard it is for us to really comprehend uh, uh, the changes that's having just on our consciousness, on our communities, on on the world. Um, in some ways, it's another form of soul delay. I would say, like we're we're kind of catching up to where we're using the things, and we're kind of catching up consciously to to our practices now. Most definitely, uh, as as fellow millennial, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I you know I remember the days that we got our first computer and it just had like the uh, uh, the dot printer, you know, and you had to like tear off the sides of the, the paper once you printed it. And you know, it felt so cool to literally, to just like, it was so much fancier than like a typewriter. Um, like, the, like I knew of typewriters and then like to see this thing where I could like input these words and they'd show up on the screen and then I could print that. And that was pretty much all I could do. But like, you know, I'm like six years old and I'm just like, what? Like, this is amazing. Like, um, and, yeah. You know, like the fact that now, like uh, my my kids are like, you know, just naturally able. Like uh, we we have uh, we've had tablets. They've had a fair amount of tablets in their life, um, and then we have like a lap, an older laptop. Anytime they they do it, they come up and they're, you know, what, why isn't this scrolling? Like why? Like I don't get it. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the novelty of touchscreens, like, you know, touchscreens were so novel and they were often like the subway, uh, the subway purchasing machines where you had to push really hard and now it's like everything is a touchscreen. Right. We, uh, um, uh, in, in the world of algorithms, one time uh, YouTube uh, decided to spit out to me the like inaugural announcement of the first iPhone. And, and did I actually spend an hour watching this entire presentation? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> but so it, it was so interesting to think about like how huge that was at the time. Like now, like, you know, I think as humans uh, and perhaps even especially as American humans, uh, we can often have very short-term memory that like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Like, oh, like, um, um, I feel like that often happens and like technology has just been on such this rapid shift that like we, we take it for granted a lot. Yeah, I think that's true. And 
I, I do stand by the sense of like, it's not, it's not like nature is the only thing that is sublime or can call us to wonder and technology is, is uh, you know, stealing that away from us to something. I, I don't think it's that simple. Um, and I, I think like just seeing photos from the Hubble telescope, for instance, like that can induce awe and wonder. And that is completely facilitated by our technological advances and changes. Um, I, I think that technology is able to, to call us to um, that wonder and also able to drain it from us and, and to take it away from us. Yes, as somebody who's been on and off with digital minimalism, uh, that, that resonates, that sometimes it's really great to um, find something really cool on the internet, but then other times like it, it's great to get away from the, the technology. Um, and so, yeah. you know, like, so at, related to this, um, while, while we've been back and seeing a lot of friends here in, in Michigan, you know, one of the things that I've, I've enjoyed pointing out to folks as we talk about that we're you know, in our 30s and we're getting a little bit older as, as millennials, um, you know, I've, I've had fun pointing out that you know, a lot of us in like growing up in the 90s that we, our parents or the radio played a fair amount of like 60s music, uh, you know, there were a, a good amount uh, of, of those channels and you know but that was like the, the classic hits or whatever uh, but so now 90s music is is as far removed from us now as 60s music was then um, I mean and so, so the stations that are still playing 60s music would be like if radio stations had been playing 30s music like during the 90s which would not have been very popular uh, you know so it's, it's, it's really mind-blowing to think about like um, the, the changes in, that have happened during the millennial lifetimes. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And I love, I love when there are things that really put timelines into, you know, it's hard to think of like years and as years pass by, like really to, to connect those. But I, I love when you have those moments where you're like, oh, that's the same amount of time that has elapsed since I was in first grade or something. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. It and that, that old 32, about to turn 33. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you, I'm right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Close to retirement, no. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> Someday, you know. Um, uh, my, my retirement plan is either, uh, you know, global social collapse or buying an RV. You know, I figured <laughs> the, the millennial life goals. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it really is true when, when you say that. I, I, you just took me back to remembering when I was uh, in elementary school and we, we talked about the possibility of a pandemic. I remember uh, in elementary school and people being like, it, it could be like a really big thing. It's happened before. Like, and just being like, whatever, you know, it's like another one of those things. Like, yes, an earthquake's happen, and, you know, there are comets and whatever. Uh, and then having it happen, um, well, I mean, one of the things that was talked about in the coffee hour after after service was just really the sense of um, the pandemic caused a lot of disruption, but it also brought a lot of people closer together because there wasn't as many things distracting them and there wasn't as many places that, that they could go. And so there, there's a sense that um, in some ways it, it facilitated the development of relationships uh, that might not otherwise have been developed, which I found fascinating. That is that is pretty fascinating. Um, 
So shifting shifting gears for for our final question here, you know, you talked about this being open to the sublime. Uh, what are what are some practices that like in in your life that really help you to do that? Yeah, I think that um, I I really miss. Uh, being physically present in the sanctuary for uh, services, uh, specifically for the singing. Um, it is just a different experience, like not harmonizing your voices with others when, when you're at home. But there is this thing that we, we don't often get to do in our lives that we do get to do uh, uh, at church, which is like coming together and hearing our voice mix with a community of others, like in, in singing in that space. Um, in the sanctuary space with the, you know, the beautiful Tiffany glass and the, the stained glass windows and everything. Um, uh, I mean, that that's one way, but also uh, I, I recently um, left the city. I lived in the city for 10 years and we, uh, before the pandemic moved up to Westchester uh, County and just uh, sitting and watching um, the nature as it goes by the um we have deer out here and uh every now and again some coyotes uh and one time a black bear um and you know seeing seeing a black bear like in person uh very close to you in your yard is one of these experiences that are scary but also like oh yes like th this this forest is teeming with life there are things that are so big and and powerful in in this forest um, and and just kind of reminds you of just the diversity of life and in the planet. Um, so that's personally how I, I hate some of the things. <laughs> I think that's great. And I think, you know, it, it's great. Uh, this message, you know, really encouraged us to think about that in all of our lives, to, to think about how we can embrace that and how we can find these moments of wonder. So. Olas, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Ember. And uh, I loved the story uh, at service today. It was a wonderful story and well-read. So thank you. And thanks as always to all of our listeners. Mm -hmm.